One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Radio Motherboard. I am Jason Kebler and I've got with me here our managing editor, Emmanuel Myberg. Hello, hello. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, it's been a while. It's been a very long time since we've pod- potted. And it's been a very long time since we've potted with uh, staff. So I'm happy to talk to someone who I already know, which is always yeah. a-, a bit easier. Yeah, it's been it's been too long. Yeah, so to to set the scene here, uh, you haven't heard from us in a while because uh, I have been working diligently to set up a podcasting studio in my apartment, which is basically just uh, an audio interface and a computer. But it's very complicated, and I'm trying to get it to a point where we can do this much more regularly and uh, much more easily. So I'm trying to mix this live. I don't know if it's going to work, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, And Emmanuel is in his command station over a few blocks away what what's uh what's the command station setup like oh it's great i got i got my two monitors set up hooked up to my uh very beefy uh gaming pc and i also have uh, a mic that you gave me that makes it look very uh legit yeah uh part of this whole setup process uh was i bought a bunch of stuff that i didn't need and not enough stuff that I did. So I have a bunch of like excess cords and microphones and things of that sort. In any case, uh, today we're going to talk about right to repair, my favorite topic, and more specifically, uh, warranty void if removed stickers. Um, do you want to get started by telling us uh, how you just right to repair your own PC? Yeah, uh, I, I did. I did repair my own PC. Uh, it wasn't like a physical problem. It wasn't a hardware problem, I'm happy to say, because that would have been a huge pain in the ass. But uh, something went sideways during a, a Windows update, and my computer just started, like, it, it, it wouldn't boot. It would just, uh, I could get to BIOS, if people know what that means. Uh, that's basically kind of uh, the instruction that uh, live on the motherboard during the boot process. Uh, and I could get there, but no further. And after some uh, uh, troubleshooting, which involves like swapping parts out and swapping parts in, 
eventually I kind of reset my BIOS or uh, the CMOS as it's called. And now my computer lives again. And it went from being like something that kept me up night because I thought I would have to buy a new CPU, which is uh, hundreds of dollars to uh, just uh, a software, a software problem that I could, I could fix because I could open my computer and, and test it out and see what's wrong with it. Yeah, so uh, hardcore motherboard fans will know that Emmanuel built his own computer in a very controversial fashion uh, by writing the... Well, he built it, and then he wrote an article that is probably one of the more controversial things motherboard has ever run, which is called Building a PC is Still Way Too Hard, I believe. Yeah. Something thereabouts. And uh, you still receive... Uh, hate mail, hate tweets f about that, right? Or, or have you won over the crowd? Uh, I feel like more people have come over to my side. There was always a contingency of people who would email me and ask me to like not share their information, but they were like, we agree with you. It's really hard. It's like, it's a pain in the ass. But most people uh, think I'm an idiot and uh, yell at me on an almost daily basis. Uh, still to this day, I think it's like two years later. Um, people are still very mad that I built my own PC. I did actually do it and I do enjoy it a lot and always have. I've always been, uh, like since I was a child, I always liked, uh, doing everything on a PC, whether that's work or just playing games and also kind of tinkering with them and at times blowing them up and like ruining them. Um, but I just said that it's, it's a, it's a difficult thing. It's a, it's very involved. It's not a, it's not for casuals as, uh, as they say. Right. And uh, so you built your own PC. There's obviously no warranty. There may have been warranties on some of the parts, but uh, no warranty on the overall device because the manufacturer was Emanuel Myberg LLC. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, I do like if you had bought this computer from Dell or from, you know, or, or maybe Asus or something like that. Actually, Asus is a good one. Uh, mm -hmm. you would have been greeted with a sticker had you tried to open up the, the computer. So uh, what, uh, what are warranty void if removed stickers? Well, here, here's an incident. I have an incident uh, from when I was in college, um, and I could not... Uh, another thing about uh, PCs and specifically playing video games on uh, PCs is that it's very expensive. Uh, my computer was like about $2,000 altogether. Um, and that's not including like all these peripherals that I have now, like the, the monitors and keyboard, mouse, whatever. Um, but in college, I didn't have money for all of that. So I did what most people do, which is just like pick a console and I'm gonna play everything on that console. And at the time that was the PlayStation 3. And I used the hell out of it. It was just like my entertainment box. It wasn't only where I played video games, it's where I watched movies and, and uh, streamed things. And uh, it, it was just like the central hub of my entertainment world. And I think it was maybe 2010, 2011, uh, my PlayStation stopped working. And I got, I believe it was called the flashing yellow light of death. Which uh, was... I've seen that one, yeah. Yeah, so in the same way that uh, Xbox 360 had the red ring of death, which meant that you had a particular kind of hardware failure, uh, PlayStation had the PlayStation 3 had a similar issue, which uh, 
also like the Red Ring of Death was a, a heat issue. It, it, uh, the the PlayStation 3 overheated and it, it uh, warped some part, uh, some, uh, some hardware components, which made it stop working. And I, of course, uh, Google this uh, looking for a solution and immediately found a lot of people complaining about it. And the interesting thing about this kind of problem is what people say is that the fix is actually very easy. I don't remember exactly what it was, but uh, you can uh, open up the PlayStation. Uh, I think it, you remove some component and put it back in. I think you reapply some, some, some glue of some kind because that's what uh, initially gets warped. And, and then you put it back together and it works. Uh, and Sony would be happy to do it for you. If you're under warranty, they'll do it for free. If you're not, they'll do it for a price. And I wouldn't mind paying. For me, it was more like, since the PlayStation was like, basically my entire like recreational uh, time, I like the thought of putting it in a box, shipping it to Sony, waiting for them to fix it, ship it back, it would be weeks. It would be like several weeks to do it. And that seemed really silly for an easy fix. So then I started looking into how I could fix it myself. And I was confident that I would break it. I have opened a PlayStation 2 before and ruined it. So I was not confident I could do it. But I did find a guy. I was living in San Francisco at the time. And I found a guy who had like this side hustle where this is all he did. He just fixed PlayStations. Um, and I remember ta I took a cab. I went over to his place. I just like... It was in his garage. I dropped it off. It felt really shady. It felt like a Craigslist trade of some sort where it's just like, okay, I guess I'm leaving this expensive device with you and I'll be back in a week. But he fixed it. It worked. It was great. Um, and the obvious problem with that is that whether I opened it or he opened it, there's a sticker on the PlayStation 3 that says, hey, don't open this. If you open it, anything that happens after that, that is your problem. And we wash our hands of it. And you're not even allowed to do this or something. I don't remember the exact language. Uh, but there's like a very stern, like, hey, don't fucking open this box. It says literally warranty void slash removed. Like it's, right. I'm looking at the sticker right now. And it's, uh, you know, this tiny little thing. And it's, they put the sticker right over one of the screws. So you obviously mm -hmm. have to take the sticker off in order to get to the screw to open up the, the PlayStation yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've run into this before as well. And it's really interesting because your PlayStation was already broken. Right. And and who knows? I don't I don't know when this happened to you, but who knows if it was still under warranty anyway? Um, usually electronics have like a one year warranty. So, you know, if it was within the one year uh, of you buying it, it still would have been under warranty. And in theory, Sony should have fixed it for free. But like you said, there's this sort of psychological barrier to losing your device for a long time. Um, you know, I've heard of people who have tried to get their phones fixed and they're like, you know, Apple or Samsung or whatever wanted like four weeks to do it. And in the meantime, they promised to send me a phone, but they never sent me a phone or, you know, my data was sitting with in some, you know, giant repair center for weeks and weeks and weeks. And, you know, some people have sensitive stuff on there. So, uh, it, it can be daunting to send something back to the manufacturer or, or maybe you don't even want to um how, how did you find this guy was it just like the the internet or 
I think I Googled it and then I ended up on the Yelp page for him, which is weird because he he's not like, it's not like he's a official business with a business address. It's like literally a dude in his garage, but he had some reviews and people were like, hey, he fixed my uh, uh, flashing yellow light of death problem. And they were all positive. So I was like, okay, great. I'll try it. And it did feel weird, like I said, because you're just like in some dude's house um, giving him a thing. But but it, it, it worked. And I, I think that exchange is sort of – it's the exact type of exchange that Sony was trying to prevent, right? Like they don't want you to open it. They don't want some unauthorized person to open it. Which seems weird because it was like the best solution for for my situation, and this this sticker is on every console, right? It's not just a PlayStation. It was on Xbox. It's on uh, every Nintendo device. And to f fast forward a bit, I mean, the reason we are talking about this today is that these stickers are going away. Uh, I think Nintendo already announced that they have changed their policy, and that these th this warranty. Uh, what is it? What the sticker warranty is void if you remove it? I don't. I don't remember the exact language, but like that is going away. And yeah, I guess like how did we get here? How did we get to the point where Nintendo is removing this warning from its devices and changing its policy? Yeah. So I mean, this is one of there. There are very few times in journalism I feel where you can be like, "Oh, I really made a difference." Like we got someone arrested, we got a company shut down, we we made a difference. You know, like sometimes you have a story and uh, you know it does it performs really well and a lot of people read it or it goes to the top of Reddit or uh, you know every once in a while you, you'll get like a nice reader feedback or something like that, but. This has been one of the most rewarding uh, reporting experiences in my life, I think, because I've been following the right to repair movement for quite some time. And I, I don't really remember where the origins of this story happened because uh, I wrote it a few years back. Uh, I guess, yeah, June 28th, 2016, I have the original story up now, uh, which is called How Sony, Microsoft, and Other Gadget Makers Violate Federal Warranty Law. And... During the course of my reporting, I just learned at some point, I talked to a lawyer or I talked to one of my sources or something, and they said, you know those warranty void if removed stickers, those are illegal. Like those are, those break federal law. And I was like, okay, that doesn't seem real. Because like, a lot of people say a lot of things when you're interviewing them. And a lot of people think that they know the law and they often don't. But, you know, this is something that I decided to look into and uh, I started sort of Googling around and I found this law called the Magnuson Moss Warranty Act, which was a federal law passed in 1975. And that law forbids the, quote, tying of parts or services to a warranty, like the terms of a warranty. So what tying means is tying, uh, like literally having the uh terms of a warranty be reliant on you doing something like you using first party parts or you using first party service or what have you so i i think that this was i think the origins of this law you know i wasn't around in 1975 but i'm pretty sure that the origins of this law go back to uh cars so mm -hmm. you know if you basically like if you put an oil filter that is not made by ford on a ford car and the uh, and your tire breaks or something, 
the that those two things are clearly not related at all but uh presumably back then ford was like oh well the warranty is void because you uh you know you used uh an aftermarket oil filter on on the engine so clearly that caused the tire to to break and we aren't honoring the warranty so uh back then you know the lawmakers passed this and said you can't condition a warranty on the use of first party parts or first party service uh and this law was passed and it actually pertains to any consumer product that costs more than five dollars so this is everything you know it's like an air conditioner or a vacuum or uh you know a video game console or a car so i i started reading this and i was like hey this really does seem you know real it seems like the law um i called up a you know warranty lawyer of which there's only a couple in the whole country like there's not a whole lot of lawyers out there who focus on warranty law and the reason for that is uh a lot of this stuff would have to go through small claims court like if my like if you if your playstation broke and sony said that they and you tried to fix it and sony said they wouldn't honor the the warranty that is ultimately like a 300 dollars expense and the cost of litigation is much much higher than 300 dollars so no no uh, lawyer wants to be involved in that um you know it, it's possible that someone would be interested in filing like a class action suit or something but overall it's like pretty small potatoes as far as like you know manufacturers screwing people over on a like per person cost basis does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah so you know people wrote this and it, it just went unchallenged for years and years and years and years um and i actually asked the FTC, like we ran this big article, um, I asked the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, and they're like, oh yeah, this definitely seems like a Magnuson Moss Warranty Act uh, violation. And so I was like, okay, well the FTC says it's illegal, so I'm going to uh, run an article, and I said that, and you know, nothing happened as uh, often. Like the story did very well, Um, a lot of people read it, a lot of people said, oh wow, like this is something that makes people really angry, because I think a lot of people have had the experiences that you've had with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and nothing happened until uh, about maybe two months ago, at which point uh, we saw a press release from the FTC saying that it had sent uh, letters to six manufacturers saying that they were in violation of federal warranty law. Um, and unfortunately, it didn't name the manufacturers there. So uh, we knew that it, they were electronics manufacturers because it said video game console makers. And I think it said car manufacturers. And it also said... Uh, you know, I think there was a, a computer maker and a cell phone maker in there. So we're like, okay, we could guess who they are, but, uh, you know, who knows who they are. Uh, and then we filed a Freedom of Information Act request uh, asking for more specifics. And a few weeks ago, we got the six letters back. Um, and the six companies are Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, which is sort of just as we expected because we know that they have those stickers on the, uh, we know that they have their stickers on the consoles as well as Hyundai, HTC, and computer hardware manufacturer, Asus. So we got those letters and, uh, you know, they're filled with legalese, but basically they said, you have 30 days to change your warranty policy. Um, And in one specific uh, case, I think it was, yeah, it was the the letter to Sony. Um, They said specifically that the warranty seal, which is the sticker, uh, breaks the law. So... Nintendo has already announced that it was going to change its uh, its warranty policy. 
Um, I haven't seen whether Sony and Microsoft have changed their policies, but they definitely have the stickers on on their consoles as well. Um, have you seen anything about that? I have not. The one I have seen is Nintendo, but uh, I don't see how these other companies can avoid making the same changes. I mean, if they want to keep operating in the U.S., which they do, they have to. It's it's critical to their business. They're going to have to comply. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. they're going to have to change their policies. It's just a matter of whether they've like made a public announcement about it or, or not. Um, mm-hmm. You know, these companies haven't responded when we've asked them, you know, what are you doing? Like, what what's your plan to get into compliance with this? But uh, yeah, it seems like any... Actually, they would be in violation right now because the... Um, the FTC gave them 30 days as of like, I think the 30 days is up like May 9th or something like that. So uh, if you are a listener out there and you have a PlayStation or Xbox that you've bought in the last week, uh, let us know if there's a sticker on it or not. Um, so the, the, that's sort of like the background and sort of the how this actually happened. But I, I do want to talk a little bit about sort of the... Uh, implications of this if if there are larger implications you know obviously it's a a win for consumers in a an industry where there's rarely wins for consumers it seems like technology companies can really do whatever they want for the most part Mm -hmm. but um yeah this is not something that i think came up all that often like you do have a a good story about it and it, it is certainly a relevant thing if you live in like especially in a rural area where there's probably not uh, that many like uh, manufacturer authorized repair people where you probably mm-hmm. are going to have to mail back your uh, your console. But yeah, I've talked to a lot of, uh, you know, right to repair folks and the people that I fix it and, you know, people who just sort of advocate for consumer and third party repair. And what they told me is that this is like a huge psychological barrier like this is basically a no trespassing sign on our electronics you have this sticker there and you know it scares you it's like oh well i better not open it because what if what if i break something yeah it scared me definitely like it definitely works like if the goal is to dissuade people from opening up their devices then mission accomplished i think there's also like i think the sticker is right next to another sticker that has the FCC uh, logo on it, because like there's an FCC logo on electronics here, uh, so it seems it all seems very official and scary um, to 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 like defy this warning. Uh, one thing I'm wondering is why why does Sony not want me to open my console? Like it doesn't make a ton of sense to me as, as as why they wouldn't want me to do this like i i, I my, my playstation broke i could have sent it to them i guess they could i guess that could be like a little source of income for them to charge me or overcharge me for repairs but it's it's not like that is core to their business you know what i mean like sony doesn't make a ton of money repairing playstations i assume that they probably lose money on it and if if anything yeah so so i have a theory and honestly this is speculation um i don't actually don't know the origins of the warranty void if removed stickers and to be clear it's not just consoles like i said it's it's on hyundai like uh cars and it's also uh on a lot of like medical equipment there's 
there's like at hospitals it'll say warranty void if removed and often you know you have like a pace not a pacemaker but like an x-ray machine or just some something in in a hospital that like has a bad battery or something and you could very easily open it up and put the new thing in and you're not going to put patients at risk um and instead of doing that themselves which like you know hospitals have very technical people who could do this much much like with a much higher accuracy rate than the average consumer uh they have like service contracts with whoever makes that you know that device so it's it's even like a bigger problem when you start talking about things like that where it's a hospital mm-hmm. could fix this thing for $15 and instead they have like a $20,000 a year service contract with some giant, you know, medical devices company. In any case, my theory is that this, uh, these stickers come from the era of PlayStation one. And I don't know whether there was a sticker on the PlayStation one. However, uh, a lot of people were opening up their PlayStation ones and putting mod chips in them. Do you know uh, mm-hmm. what a mod chip is? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, basically a way for you to pirate games, right? Like you can put a mod chip and then you can uh, get around various uh, DRM uh, methods and and play whatever games you want that you download from the internet or even use your PlayStation in ways that it wasn't intended. Yeah. So uh, the the PlayStation One used like the games came on CDs, regular old CDs, not like proprietary discs. Um, and that was around the time when CD burners became like available to consumers. And so, yeah, you could basically, I think a mod ship was like $50 or something. And you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue You can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You could open up the console and you'd have to solder it to another chip on the board. And I don't know the specifics of how exactly it worked or, or how it bypassed whatever DRM the, the PlayStation 1 had. But it would then allow you to take, you know, a disc that you rented from Blockbuster, uh, burn it and play it forever, which is what a lot of my friends did. Um, I know that one of my friend's dads like installed mod chips for everyone in the neighborhood. And then there was like a, a piracy ring, essentially, of like kids, like 12 year old kids who would rent games from Blockbuster, burn them, and then play them. So my friend had like 500 PlayStation games because he burned a bunch from Blockbuster and started downloading them once they once the like images became available on the internet and stuff like that. So my theory is that Sony put this sticker on saying, hey, if you open this up, we're not going to... Like, if you mess something up, we're not going to fix it. Um, and that's just like a vestige on the PlayStation 2, 3, and 4, of which I think there may have been a mod chip for the PlayStation 2, but I know that piracy was, like, much less of a, of a thing because uh, I don't think the timelines exactly lined up where, like, DVD burning was very, uh, very easily accessible, and I think it was a little more complicated. So while piracy was, like, super rampant on the PlayStation 1, I don't think it was... 
uh, all that common on the PlayStation 2, and I have no idea if there was even a mod chip for the PlayStation 3, and I, I'm pretty certain that there's there's not anymore. Do you know? Uh, I'm not sure if there is. I know that you could, I mean, the PlayStation 3, for a while there, you could uh, load Linux on it, which opens it up for all types of uses. Uh, but there was this window of time, which is now closed, this is over, but there was this window of time where um, like people were getting online, like the internet was, uh, more people were connected to the internet and the console manufacturers weren't really ready for the type of knowledge sharing and uh, straight up like the sharing of uh, software uh, illegally on the internet where it was incredibly wild. And while I think that uh, the game companies often overstate the risk that piracy poses to them, there was like, like I remember going to a friend's house and he had a Dreamcast and he was like, oh, do you want to play the Dreamcast? I was like, yeah, sure. What games do you have? And he was like, I have all of them. And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, <laughs> I, literally, I literally have every Dreamcast game that was ever made because I just downloaded them all. And here's like, a CD case with 200 CDs in it. And I have like literally everything. And I was like, wow. Like even as a teenager, like a young kid, I was like, this is probably bad. Yeah, no, uh, I remember my friend used to download, you could download like the jewel case inserts as well. And you could download <laughs> yeah. like the uh, CD labels. Like people would uh, scan them or recreate the CD labels. And then you could buy one of those like CD label maker programs and put that on there and print it out and put it on. And like, it definitely did not look like it was real, but yeah. uh, it was like, oh, wow, they're like pirating everything about this. It's not just the game. It's like everything that comes with the game. Um, yeah, and I remember yeah. like after a few weeks, my friend just started writing what the name of the game was on sh with Sharpie because like who cares once you yeah, have like, has time. thousands of games. Yeah. Yeah. So so that that was that was bad. Like that, that's not good for these companies. Like I understand why that would freak them out, but that window closed it closed really would, quick like it i was really quick because the next generation of consoles was much more serious about drm i mean um i think that's when you started that's when did playstation 2 have like the blue cds right like the back of the cd was blue and that was some sort of drm thing they did a bunch of like hardware drm solutions and then like this whole problem is i would say like pretty much a non-issue as soon as consoles uh really got online and i mean if you have a, since the playstation 3 it's like you buy a game but you immediately have to download like a day one patch and it and, and all games are like online games and and your console has to constantly get updates and as soon as you're doing that and sony is constantly checking in with your hardware they can see when you're fucking around and they will shut you down you know what i mean it's like you can technically hack an Xbox One and you can hack a PlayStation 4 and you can do all these crazy things, but for the average user, it's useless because as soon as you try to do anything with it, which involves you know, getting on the internet, then they can see that your hardware is different and that your software is different and they lock you out. You know what I mean? So I, I don't understand like why today they insist on these stickers because they have solved this on on the back end on their servers because they can see what you're doing. Yeah, I mean you're you're absolutely right. I mean I think that I think it's just vestigial. I think it's just you know hey we we've always done this so we're gonna do it. But on a you know more uh, like industry wide scale, 
manufacturers don't want you fixing their things. Um, and we've seen this time and time again, like we've seen this with Apple lobbying against right to repair legislation. We've seen it with Apple uh, sort of working very hard to make sure that third party parts aren't available for iPhones. Um, you know, Sony and, and Microsoft and Nintendo, probably to a lesser degree, are all involved in this as well. Just they don't want you using they don't want you to like replace the uh, PlayStation hard drive with a third party hard drive, which you can do. At least you could do in the, the PlayStation 3. I'm pretty sure you can do it with the PlayStation 4 as well. But they don't want you to do that because, you know, who knows if it's going to be compatible. Um, you know, they've sort of taken this stance which is like we have designed this fantastic ecosystem uh and we don't want anyone to interlope on that ecosystem and anything that's like unexpected we can't vouch for so we're not going to guarantee and we're we're also not going to deal with it like not only are we not going to guarantee it but we're also going to say you can't do that and you shouldn't do that um, yeah i think you're right i think that's really it i do want to uh... I'm, we would have to, somebody will correct us about this later, but I think that uh, PlayStation and uh, Microsoft have even, uh, they recognize that people want to add their own hard drive, for example, because people download so many games these days and games are so big. I think that with the PlayStation or the Xbox, maybe both, there's like a different way into that part of the machine where you can and they will allow you to put your own hard drives in in this latest generation. Like that, that is like a different entrance into the device that doesn't. Yeah, you're it. right. You're right. That so there, there is that. But I think you're right in that it's like they don't even have to articulate or have a particular reason for why you can't open the device. It's not like there's a particular concern. It's just like in general. It seems that these companies, like tech companies in general, there's like this idea, like the sanctity of the of the ecosystem, right? It's like they sell you the box, they tell you what goes in the box, they want to keep you inside because that way you're in their ecosystem, you're in their online store, you have to buy their peripherals, you have to it's like that is really the end game, right? The end game is to keep you on a certain track. And 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 the moment you open up the device and decide what you want to do then you're sort of off the reservation. And I think that is ultimately what the sticker is about. They, they don't want you to chart your own course through these devices. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And um, we've seen this with other companies as well, where they say, okay, if we have to honor the warranty of a consumer or third-party repaired device, we are going to get so many people who broke something while they were trying to fix it that we're not going to like, it's going to be an inconvenience to us. And I think, you know, this is a, maybe a bit uh, overstating things, but I think that for the most part in America, like politicians have said, okay, companies are right all the time. Like they always can sort of dictate the terms under which they operate um, as far as like, at least consumer relations are concerned. So it's like, okay, Microsoft doesn't want you in the Xbox. That's fine. Like that's exact, like Xbox is, or Microsoft is within its right to say that no matter what, even though we have this law that says, you know, you can't do that. And so it went unchallenged for years and years and years. And I think, you know, one of the arguments that I see against right to repair from like the average person, which by average person, I generally mean like Apple fan, like hardcore Apple fan 
is like Apple doesn't want to have to deal with a bunch of people who tried to fix their screens or like replace their screens and like broke the logic board. And right. Yeah, I wouldn't want to deal with that either, but like that's just sort of part of doing business or it, it probably should have to be part of doing business. It's like, okay, well, you broke the logic board. We're not going to replace the logic board for free, but we will make you pay, you know, like $200 and we'll put a new one in there. Yeah. What do you think happened between uh, the 1970s when when this law was introduced and now where we sort of got this amnesia and like completely forgot that it was a law and allowed these companies to dictate these uh, these new rules that only now in 2018 we we found out are illegal like what happened what is this lapse in in memory and in a completely change in attitude that happened for like i don't know 30 40 years why why did why did we like change our mind about this? Yeah, this is a really good point and it's a it's a good question and I think, you know, there may have been political things that changed. I uh, have not studied this closely. However, the general like mentality that has changed is that we went from a society that repairs and fixes its own things to a society that throws things away and buys new ones. Um, and this is something that we've sort of documented across all sorts of industries but uh you know you may maybe you bought like a landline telephone in the 90s or something and you probably used that landline telephone for like 10 years until maybe you got a cordless phone or something like that uh and probably it didn't break because those things are built like tanks but you know if it broke maybe you bought a new one maybe you bought like a new cord or whatever to connect it to to the phone line whereas now it's like you have a phone and it you keep it for a year or you keep it for two years and then you get a new one. Um, and th that same thing is like electronics got a lot cheaper and they also got a lot more complex is, is basically what happened. And as a society, we're like, okay, these things aren't worth repairing because they, uh, you can just buy a new one for basically the cost of whatever a repair would be. And I can't repair it anyways because it's computers and it has all this circuitry and I'm going to need to learn how to solder and I'm going to need like special screwdrivers and I'm, I'm, maybe I'll need to access the software in some way. And so uh, that I mean, that's what happened. Like we've seen that across all sorts of industries. We've seen it with John Deere tractors. Um, the mentality of farmers has not changed, but the mentality of John Deere has changed from being, you know, it's it's American and it's. Uh, like it's sort of the american way to tinker with things and to modify them and to to fix them when they break to being everything in this entire device has a chip and if you mess with it you're messing with john deere's software and john deere's property and don't touch it because we can sue you under the terms of our contract basically yeah i would also add to that um where like when these devices first coming into our lives, they did not play the same role that they play today. And it's just like, there was a little bit of a break with how we think about um, technology. So like, if you go way back, if you go to like, I don't know, if you go to the old West or something, right. And it's like, if you stole a man's horse then you would be hung because like you need a horse to live in the, in, in the wilderness of America. Right. And 
by extension, you know, these laws that give you the right to repair your car, that's because like you need your car. Like you like the car is like an essential tool that you need to live in certain parts of this country, right? So it would be completely mad to say to someone whose car broke down on the highway that they can't fix their own car so they can get where they're going, right? And that they have to wait for somebody official from the company that made the car to come fix it, right? That it only makes sense. Um, but then when we started getting into like, quote unquote, gadgets, right? They, were, they didn't seem as crucial to the way we live. Like they're gadgets, they're frivolous, right? It's like, oh, I have a calculator watch or I have a Palm Pilot or I have a smartphone. It's like, okay, it's like, it's cool. It lets you do some things but it's not like a, a vital part of your life. But over time, it's like you need your phone, right? It's like in the society that we live in today, you, you need your phone to do your job. You need your computer to do your job. I don't need my PlayStation to do my job, but these other devices are like, are just as crucial to our modern lives as a car is. Um, and I think that it just, something happened where it's like because of the way these devices came into our lives as like these like gadgets that are not so serious, we didn't apply the same principles to them as we did to, to cars or washing machines or whatever, right? It's just like they're not as important. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. I think that's right. I think also uh, you sort of had a generation of people whose profession was, you know, repair person. Um, and obviously there's still a lot of people whose profession is repair However, a lot of that, like you, you can't really go, or maybe you still can, but it, it's becoming much uh, less common for you to be able to go down the street to like the law, the lawnmower repair person. Uh, I remember there's like a guy in my neighborhood that if my dad's lawnmower broke, he like took it over there. But that guy also fixed vacuum cleaners and he also fixed TVs and stuff like that. And it, it, it definitely has become a more uh, specialized profession like if you fix a vacuum cleaner now it's unclear whether you'll you'll also be able to fix a a lawnmower um, because they're the machines have like differentiated themselves in in bigger ways I think however a trend that we've also seen is that uh, maybe like Auric the vacuum cleaner manufacturer or Dyson the vacuum cleaner manufacturer would say, hey, you're the best like independent vacuum cleaner in t vacuum cleaner uh, repair person in town. Why don't you work for us? Like we'll give you a contract, we'll give you training, we'll give you all the tools, we'll take all the risk from you, um, and you'll become like a Dyson authorized repair person. And that's something that we've seen a lot through uh, in, in various industries as well is, People have become authorized by the manufacturer, which means that they are only allowed to repair, uh, you know, the the gadgets that that manufacturer makes. Um, and they also have to do it under their terms. So it's like you might have to pay uh, the manufacturer like a thousand dollars a year to, to renew your authorization. So that becomes a new revenue stream for that company. And then you're only allowed to repair certain things on that, which is like what Apple does. It's Apple has this authorized repair, uh, like system, uh, authorized service provider system. And you have to pay them to join it. 
and then you have to pay them a set a set amount for the parts so i i'm just making up these numbers but like an iphone screen will be like 30 bucks or whatever and then you are allowed to charge a certain amount of money so an iphone screen repair is 50 dollars, regardless of like where your rent is or anything like that so uh apple basically takes on the entire like business model of your repair situation and then you play under those rules um, and it, with Apple's program, you're only allowed to do certain repairs. Like if someone comes in with a broken iPhone charge port, which is like where the lightning cable plugs in, you're not allowed to fix that. Like you have to send it back to Apple, even though that's like a really easy thing to do. So yeah, I mean, Apple has this like complicated, uh, it, it's like everything else, Apple and like everything else, uh, in the electronics industry it's going towards this like walled garden protected model where you have to sort of play by the rules and and maybe you'll get sort of whatever scraps are left over like you you can do whatever the company wants as long as the company or you can do whatever you want as long as it's authorized by the company basically mm -hmm. yeah so i mean we we i can talk about this all day it's my favorite topic and i uh have covered this forever um i think next steps as far as like the actual warranty stickers go is we'll probably see more companies have to take these things off um and, and one thing that we didn't point out and should point out is that if you open up the console and you break something that's not covered by the warranty uh -huh. it's like if you open up the console and you like you, there's something wrong with your power supply and you fix the power supply but then a month later the cd drive or the optical drive goes out that's like that should be covered by warranty because they're they're not connected yeah i guess uh one thing i would add like this is obviously a very good development because people these companies will follow the law now and we want them to do that but i suspect that this is kind of going to be the end of this particular part of the right to repair story because and i'm not super up to date on what the modding scene is on switch and on xbox one and on playstation 4 but what I do know is that these devices are uh, just much more stable than the Xbox 360 was and the PlayStation 3 was. So there is less reason to open them up, right? Like the, the, the reason that I needed to open my PlayStation 3, the reason that so many people were opening up their Xboxes is that they were broken and they needed to fix them. And that was such a debacle for these companies when these devices were rushed out and malfunctioned like often uh, that these new devices are just w made way better and are more stable and don't have these issues. I've not heard of PlayStation 4s dying at the rate that PlayStation 3s did or Xbox One's dying at the almost like, I think it's like an 80% failure rate on the Xbox 360. Um, so like, it's good that we won the fight, but I think that uh people are not opening their consoles as much as they used to yeah and i mean that's a good thing you don't want to have to uh fix something every five minutes and yeah i i often wonder like what it would be like if something like the red ring of death happened now uh under this political environment which means like the right to repair is sort of front and center in the larger electronics like big tech uh conversation i guess or at least i like to think that it is 
but the the right to repair movement like wasn't really uh fully underway you know six or seven years ago when the the red ring of death became a, a big thing um and then one other thing that i don't think we have time to talk about but i just want to mention is that yeah people aren't really modding their devices that much anymore but uh there is still at least the consideration that uh maybe you should be able to mod these things via software like maybe you should be able to jailbreak them so that they can run linux or so that you know they just become essentially another type of computer and that's a whole other like host of issues it's a whole nother uh legal framework it's actually something that's going on right now again so maybe we'll have another episode on it but uh, the like jailbreaking stuff comes under the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, mm-hmm. uh, Section 1201, if you want to get specific. So that uh, the Librarian of Congress is currently considering whether to allow uh, people to jailbreak their uh, video game consoles legally, like under the under U.S. law. And previously we haven't like we've gotten uh by we i mean consumers have won exemptions that allow them to like jailbreak uh tractors for the purposes of repair but they haven't really been able to make the argument that there's a reason to jailbreak a console that doesn't have to do with piracy so i can think of a lot of like possible reasons why someone would want to do it i think you know some of the like seti at home stuff where uh like playstation computing power was used to look for aliens is really cool and there's a lot of like reasons why you'd want to use your console computing power to do something else but that's like a, another sort of front in this general like battle to sort of unlock or open up some of the uh the walled gardens that we have with these consoles yeah archiving is another big reason to do this uh once these uh services go away if they go away once uh these companies stop supporting them uh for historical reasons people want to get in there and keep everything running and run their own servers. And uh, that is another big reason why uh, people are fighting for the right to kind of tinker there. Yeah, cool. Well, uh, we'll be back soon, hopefully. Uh, Hopefully the setup worked and it sounds okay. Um, If it didn't, I would say that uh, we are, it's a work in progress and we're working on it to make things sound better, make things smoother. So hopefully we can have a more regular uh, podcast release schedule. But uh, if you like this, uh, this is Radio Motherboard. Tell your friends about it. Hopefully there will be more episodes soon. uh, And we'll be back uh, hopefully next week. Indeed. All right. All right.